Welcome to Scattered Groups. I hope that you've had a terrific season so far. We just have a, a couple more lessons as we finish out the month of February. We'll take a break and then we'll jump back in our study in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're in the book of 1st John chapter 3, so if you want to find that. Uh, several have asked my thoughts about the Super Bowl commercial, He Gets Us, and that was the one with the uh, serving others with the foot washing. And my only response to that would be, well, I guess two parts. Uh, first off would be to read and look at the book of uh, John chapter 13 and uh, read that chapter, John 13, and tell me if foot washing always is an affirmation of the person in their life and tell me if it's also possible that foot washing as an act of service could also be part of condemnation. So that's in John 13. Something to help clarify could be, and my second response would be, Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22. You could look that up sometimes. So John 13 and Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. Our message today has to do with not only the idea of serving others, but, uh, but love. And the title that we'll give this is Talk is Cheap. Talk is Cheap from John chapter, 1 John chapter 3. William Carey certainly thought that mere talk was not enough. On May 31st, 1872, the Nottingham cobbler, that means he, was, he would cobble around with foot uh, making shoes, and etc. He preached his famous sermon, and the text was plain enough and practical enough. From Isaiah, lengthen thy cords, strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth the right hand from the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make desolate cities to be inhabited. For some time God had been working in Carrie's heart, and his workshop, in his workshop, he kept a homemade map of the world in which he noted the population, the, re the religion, and the other appropriate information about various countries. But he was up against hyper-Calvinism of the day, and he broached a question. He asked people, is the Lord's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel still abiding? Is this still something that, that, uh, that we should be doing? And one minister actually told him to sit down and said, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he was bluntly told, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Later on came his famous sermon, Expect Great Things from God. He replied in conclusion, Attempt Great Things for God. The people, however, did not weep in response to the plight of the pagan. They did not even wait. They just stood up as usual, prepared to go, and Carrie grasped the arm of his friend, Andrew Fuller, and said, Aren't we going to do anything? He cried, Oh, Fuller, call him back, call him back, get the people back. He wanted to not only have words about about sharing the gospel and sending missionaries and taking Christ to others, he wanted to actually do something about it. And he would agree with the statement, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And we know that William Carey went on to become the founder of the modern missions movement. Here we have a wonderful passage beginning in verse 18, John, 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. One person commented, if we love people as Jesus loved people, we'll want to do something for them. Now, the beginning of this passage, and this whole section really starts in verse 11. So 
1 John 3, 11, and it goes down to the end of the chapter, and this idea of talk is cheap. So let's begin verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth, that means liveth or remaineth, dwelleth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for the brethren, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That word perceive there, it's the word gnosko. It's a favorite word of mine to know, to have some knowledge. And here it means to come to know or to recognize. How do we know God loves us? Because of his sacrifice and the giving of his son. How do we know this? Because of what he did for us. Talk is cheap. Jesus didn't say just I love you. He did something about it. God didn't just say I love you. He sent his son to do something about it. And so we know this truth in verse 11 that we're to love and it's from the beginning all the way back in Leviticus and other passages. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. In 1 John 2 verse 7, the apostle continues to teach, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have had from the beginning, that uh, the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So to love God, love others. And in John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. But what about Cain? Cain, in his unrighteousness, his wickedness, hated Abel because of Abel's righteousness. Here it is in Genesis 4.4, 4, But Abel, who uh, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And Cain talked with, his, his, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. This is emphasized throughout the New Testament in Hebrews 11 verse 4, But Abel, by faith Abel, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testified of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And so he was one living by faith, and the other man, was his brother, was living by his works, and it was all evil. And Jude 11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished, and again saying, Of Kor. And so there was this element of greediness and selfishness that we find in Cain. And Abel was righteous. He was other-centered. He was trying to please the Lord with his gift to the Lord. But friends, people will hate you just like Cain hated Abel because there's righteousness in you. And verse 13, he says, marvel not. Don't be amazed. Don't be surprised that, uh, my brethren, if the world hate you. If they have animosity, resentment, if they despise you, don't be surprised at that. If you have love, if you have this righteousness, there's a difference in you because of Christ in you. Now, unlike Cain and this world, 
whose love is transactional and it really follows after a business model, we are to show unconditional love to others, in particular, other Christians. Now, we find the term brethren several times in our text, like verse 13 is there in other places in the verses that we read. Brethren of Delphos, it has to do with Philadelphia. So you think of brotherly love. Adelphos means from the womb. So a brother from the womb, a brother, a sister, someone else from the womb. It's, it's a relative. It's a relative. And so we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Several times, John calls the readers little children, indicating they're part of a larger family. They have Adelphos. They have brothers and sisters then from the womb of God. I think it's okay for us to say it that way. We're, we're, we are related. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Children of God, one person described, in Christ can count on faithful love and protection from their heavenly father. In the ancient world, Greco-Roman fathers sometimes set a very different family tone. Children were destroyed in a womb if they were unwanted or illegitimate. The early Christian leader, Tertullian, protested this and described the contrasting behavior of the Christians. He said, in our case, murder being once for all forbidden, we may not destroy even a fetus in the womb, while as yet the human being derives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance. To hinder a birth is merely a speedier man-killing, nor does it matter whether you take away a life that is born or destroy one that is coming to the birth. That is a man which is going to be one, you have the fruit already in its seed. So that's a man. If it's going to be a man, it's already a man is what he's saying. I like that argument there. But notice how Christians are going to be different in how we treat other people and how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's all because of the work of God. Now, the world and Cain, Cain and Abel, uh, they had a, a transactional love. Cain had a transactional love. And the world has a transactional love. What does that mean? I will show love in return for a favor. I will show love or benefits in turn for something that I want in return. This is a business model type love. I'll trade this commodity for that commodity. I want something of equal value in return for my, my affection that I'm going to show towards you. And it's, that's a selfish way to look at it. It's a business model, okay? We do that all the time when you go to the store or whenever you buy something. So you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But the love of Christ for us expected nothing in return. And he describes for us how we can show this type of love to other people. You see, Christians love in deed and in truth in verse 18. And this is our key text. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth, in action and in reality. That's how we are to love. And so that's what we'll say then. Christians love in action and reality. Now, verse 16 tells us, Hereby perceive we the love of God. We know that God loved us, not just for his words, but for his actions and reality, for the sending of his son, for the sacrificing of himself and dying in our place. And so what a wonderful God that we have. We, we perceive this. We gnosko. We know he loves us, not just because he said it, but because he did something about it. Now, this gives us several ideas then of how we can show love and not just 
talk cheaply because talk is cheap? How can we really show then? How can we demonstrate true love to others? Well, verse 16 begins with, and we'll, we'll say the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The word ought there means to owe or to be indebted to. And the Lord is telling us, John tells us here, that like God made a sacrifice for us, we can make a sacrifice for other people. And that's what he's calling. I mean, that's a great demonstration of love. And that's beginning with the model of Jesus Christ. And so sacrifice, selflessness uh, would be a term that goes along with this idea. But then he continues and says, sharing. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? All right, you see somebody in need. They don't have something to eat. They don't have warm clothes to put on. Maybe uh, something's wrong with their housing. They can't uh, have a place to live or it's, it's not a healthy place to live. He says, if you shut up your bowels, we don't use the word bowels. He's talking about organs, uh, innermost part, innermost part. And then notice how the word compassion of compassion is uh, supplied there to help us understand what he's talking about. If you don't have any feelings, when you see a brother or sister in Christ and they're having a hard time and you have the world's goods, you have the money, you have the, the resources, you have the stuff, you have the ability and you see somebody and your gut, your organs, you don't have compassion, you have no feeling towards them. He says in response, here's the question then, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The word dwelleth is the word abideth. We find it many times throughout 1 John. And it's the word meno, meno, and uh, means to abide or remain. How can we have the love of God in us if we don't have any compassion for those around us that are hurting? That's what he's asking. And if we don't help them, in other words, serve them or share with them, that's our second point is sharing. So sacrifice and sharing. If I'm not sharing with others and I could help them out, how can I say that I love God and that God dwells in me? How can I really say that? So it's like a rhetorical question. So you see somebody in need and, uh, and you don't help them out. Why not? Hey, when we, when we give baby showers for people, when we maybe uh, greet people or house, do housewarming type things and you don't care to help out, I mean, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? When someone is going through a hard time, maybe they just lost their job or they're uh, struggling in some area and it's a brother or sister in Christ and you have the goods, man. You got it in the bank. You, you have the ability to help out and you just look and you don't have any feeling. You don't have any feeling about it. Okay, how can we say that God is dwelling in us, that we're abiding and remaining in, in God? So it's a rhetorical question that we absolutely should ask ourselves. So how can we show true love to others? Sacrifice, sharing. Share something with someone in need this week. That'd be a good challenge, right? Share something with someone in need this week. And then next is supplicate. Maybe not as obvious, but it's, it's kind of subtle, but it all goes together in verse 19. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Assure means persuade or to have confidence, to be persuaded. 
For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now here's what the confidence, if we don't have a guilty conscience, if we know that we're blameless before the Lord, we don't have this nagging feeling like, oh, I should have helped them, but I didn't, or I love my money more than I love them. And uh, we know that we have this clean conscience. Then he says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Isn't that great? So if, if we have a clean, clear conscience with God, we know that we can ask. Now this also, uh, we, we are inferring from this then that we're praying for them, the others, and their needs. And so here we are with supplicating to be praying. Now notice the word condemn. It's katagonosko, uh, and the gnosko, of course, means to know something. And here is kata. It's like an opposite. It's condemning. It means self-blaming. I'm blaming myself. So I could have helped them, but I'm not. I have a guilty conscience about it. God won't answer that prayer. But if you are helping others, and if you are uh, sharing with others, then then God will answer those prayers, and God will hear your prayers. Maybe when you ask, Lord, how can I know how to help them more or to show love to them better? And so uh, he calls them the beloved then. That's the word uh, love there is agape love. So that's the type of love he has for us and the love he wants us to show to others. And finally then, service. In verse 22 to 24, and whatsoever we ask of him, uh, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. So here's a commandment. This is like a summary of this chapter. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments, that's that love, dwelleth in him, or remaineth, or abideth in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirits which he hath given to us. And we'll just summarize this by saying service. Now there's two things that God wants us to do in this. Believe. So have you trusted Christ for salvation? Do you believe in the gospel of Christ? The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ uh, came to this earth. He lived the perfect life. He died in your place, taking your sin to the cross. And three days later, he rose. And then 40 days after that, he ascended into heaven. And we know that Christ is coming back. This is the complete gospel. The whole. Are you trusting Jesus Christ? That's the whole reason he came to die, is so that you could believe and have salvation and eternal life, and then know him and live with him forever. And the second command here that he says is to love one another as he gave us commandment. And uh, what a great summary and a point that we'll conclude with here today is that how are you at loving God and loving others? How is it with your service to other people? So sacrifice, sharing, supplicate. I'm going to be praying for others and then serving others as well. Christians love in action and reality. In deed and truth, show some love to others today. George Burns was the founder of the famous Cunard Line, the father of the modern ocean liner, pioneer of an enormous oceanic traffic uh, back in that era. Burns was knighted by Queen Victoria when he was 94 years old, the oldest baron ever created, in recognition of his enterprise and success. But it was not wealth and honor or success that he prized the most. Rather, the church, the Lord's Day, he valued Jesus. 
When other steamship companies saw the success of the Cunard Line, they too plunged into the profitable business of racing people around the world in luxury. The competition for passengers grew fierce and soon some of Sir George's, George's rivals were building ships that were faster than his. But he refused to be discouraged. While he considered the importance of speed with each order that he sent to the shipyards, he always considered safety first. Several of his competitors lost ships at sea with fearful loss of life, but the Cunard ships continued to hold the record for safety. Two of his comp competitors went bankrupt, while the fortunes of the Cunard line continued to rise. Some spoke of the company's wonderful run of luck, but Sword George did not. Here's what he said. He said, I believe in the power of prayer. I also believe in working, doing work very well. And subordinating profit and speed and public opinion to safety, comfort, and efficiency. He made it his rule not to pray for his ships unless he had done everything that skill, engineering, and ingenuity could suggest in making sure they were safely constructed. In other words, he was going to do the best that he could do and then pray for success instead of doing shabby work and then praying for success. I like that. He valued the safety of others over his own profit. He was showing love to others first and foremost. 